Hello and welcome back to Omens and Epiphanies. I'm Grace and I'm going on a journey. I hope you'll join me. I just sang my theme song in my head a little bit. I don't really have a theme song. I, you know, I went on the internet the first day I did this and it's, it's the one you just heard. So I'm here. Today, uh, we have a very special episode. We're talking about death, um, which is the 13th card of the Major Arcana. I have my tea. I have my tarot card. I'm ready to rumble. And we're going to talk a lot more about this person, but I would just want to dedicate this episode to Jim McCartney. Jim was a very kind soul, very old soul, and I knew him as an old human as well. So say hi, Koshka. Um, so I didn't really get to know Jim, but luckily there's videos of him. So I got to get to know him a little bit more in this episode. And today is the day where he has been passed from this plane for a year. So I had to do this episode today. I had to talk about him today because um, we're going to talk a little bit more about his journey at the towards the end. But uh, here's to you, Jim. Cheers. Let's talk about uh, let's back up, though, and talk about the um, my journey a little bit more. So do you remember how I told you how I went to this retreat? Um, I met this woman when I was on vacation. She had a retreat like the next weekend. And then a little bit after that, she had a full blown weekend retreat where we talked about tarot, learned tarot cards, connected with our guides, etc. That was the one where I went out into the woods, couldn't read. It was four of swords or something like that, but I couldn't read it without my book needed my book to be successful, at least I felt. And I remember very distinctly coming back into the house crying. We got it kind of straightened out. And then probably about an hour later, we had a group reading activity where we had one deck of cards. Koshka, you can't sit on the microphone, my love. We had one deck of cards and we were doing a group reading. So um, each of us basically picked one card for the group. So we had five cards in front of us. And um, I was using a deck that somebody had brought for me. It was the Shadowscapes Tarot. And I looked through it and every time I flipped the next card, I saw something else that I really loved seeing. And still, every time I look at this deck, I see something new. But the death card in the Shadowscapes Tarot by Stephanie Femoon Law is a phoenix, which is rare. And we're gonna talk about what we normally see in the death card. Um, but this phoenix is, is a woman her chest is bare, her arms are thrown back, her head is thrown back, her hair um, morphs into the head of the phoenix and her arms become the wings. And you can't see her legs because they are covered with the feathers of the uh, tail. She's on a branch and there's fire, there's flames coming from the phoenix, she's dying. But below, there is a little tiny ball that is the next phoenix, it's a little egg. And that at that point, I said, Oh, I love this card. It's a woman. <laughs> and somebody else who had the exact same deck as I did, who has been reading it for for three years, I think at that point, he goes, No way. I've been reading for this deck for however insert time here. And I've never seen that before. And she looked and she's like, Oh my gosh, yes, there's a woman on that card. The other thing that I, I just said that I see something new every single time. I've never noticed that on the ground are lilies and on the branches of the tree are holly, um, which just 
are very that's very interesting to me because those um are usually some kind of like lilies you give somebody who's mourning i think and then holly reminds me of um the myth of persephone and hades what we normally see on these cards which is the 13th card again that's unlucky quote unquote in some some areas um so we normally see the grim reaper which is the personification of death uh, a scythe a traditional weapon used in farming to cut down um, larger crops they might be harvested so harvesting souls this um the white horse which apparently is from revelation 6 7 through 8 um, i do not subscribe to the bible but if you're a christian which maybe you want to look that up um but those three things are are on my other favorite deck this the steampunk tarot it's a woman as the grim reaper holding a scythe on a white horse like those are the things you might also see water. It's usually a um, uh, call out to the river Styx, which ferries death in the afterlife. You could see a scorpion. Um, apparently, it's a myth, but apparently a scorpion might sting itself to death if threatened. Who knew? I did not. But something said that was a myth. Um, a butterfly emerging or a phoenix. And you'll also frequently see either a sunset or a sunrise, which are indistinguishable in a snapshot of time, right? Like we don't know what time it is. We don't know what's happening. So you might see a sunset sunset slash sunrise, which is a beginning and an ending at the same time. Once again, I got all of those from um, Tarot 101. I also just want to repeat that with 13, we, so we condense those numbers down to four, which is a, uh, which is focus, foundation and constraints, which are all death-like. So that foundation uh, for the next life, the constraints of the old life, etc., etc. And in the fool's journey, this is a transition or elimination of old habits. So we're letting go of the old, bringing in the new. I do want to say that death, death is one of those cards that scares people when it comes up in tarot readings. It shouldn't be because it truly is not somebody is about to die. It's not there's going to be a death, right? It's something is about to be released from your life and not in a chaotic way. That's the tower card. This is, and I'm going to quote from Tara 101 again, quote, change is the only constant and death is ine inevitable. Death in this card is a nonviolent natural decay. Death and decay are necessary for stability, creating fertilizer for new growth. And truly, when something is is dying, it creates life. A a release of that of that energy, even of a body, a human body, creates fertilizer for the next things to grow from it. So this is not chaos. This is not um, murder. This is just something naturally decaying and releasing um, the stuff required for something new to come in. So before I move on to more death stuff, I just want to say that last episode, I said that the um, Hebrew symbol on the card was mem, but it's not. Last episode should have been Lamed, which is teaching and learning. And this episode is Mem, Water and Chaos. And I know that I just finished explaining how this is not actually chaotic death. 
but here we are. <laughs> it's chaos like I am, like this episode is. Speaking of mistakes, last week I said resurrection and I kept saying resurrection and I meant reincarnation. So those are two different things. Um, resurrection is usually a um, complete death and then returning to the same body while reincarnation is a complete death and returning to a different body. Now, when I was growing up, my favorite book of all time was the Dagger Spell series by Catherine Kerr. And it was my favorite because um, I read the first book, which sets up the entire series. Okay, it sets up the entire series. There's a, um, a timeline where some mistakes were made and somebody who uses magic said, I will never rest until I set this right. I will never rest until I set this right. And the gods agreed. They said, great, not without, not actually saying it, but they accepted his promise and would not let him die until all of the wrongs were righted. All of them. So he lived out lifetime after lifetime after lifetime after lifetime trying to help with this whole thing. But there was lessons to be learned first. There was other soul contracts that had to be um, fulfilled. There was other promises that needed to be, to be finished before he could have his quote unquote turn. So a lot of his, a lot of the books was him helping out him, seeing the same mistakes happen over and over again, seeing some things resolve. Um, he became a very, very, very old man, centuries old. Well, I loved this book because, uh, I didn't know it was a series. <laughs> and so the first book happened it left off at a cliffhanger like you do. Uh, and then I never even thought to go see if there was a second book. <laughs> There's 16 in the series. It's a series of 16 novels <laughs> following this um, rise and fall of of their unique humanities. Follows storylines, follows anyways. And so that was one of my, my foundational... Um, uh, re reincarnation, not resurrection. My foundational reincarnation belief system was that we have um, lessons and we continue to learn them until we finish learning them. And then we can go on to new lessons and new soul contracts. Um, and we don't necessarily know what they are in this life, but our soul does. So that was my foundation. And then also I was a Christian for a hot minute. And part of that, I said, you know, if, if I was a God, which I know is sacrilegious, but just hear me out. Okay. Or if I were a God in would be my current language because that's non-binary and neutral. If I were God in, I would not create a system where I have to keep on creating new souls continuously. That sounds exhausting. I would create some kind of recycling system, right? So instead of a, a soul dies, it goes to heaven or hell. There's a influx of um, people. I know it's infinite, but like there's a certain point where you're walking around and you can't walk anywhere because there's so many people there. I would create some sort of recycling system. Okay. So I would recycle the souls. Maybe heaven is just a, a nice you know, a nice life next time and hell is a terrible life next time. And I know that like Dante's Inferno lays out all the nine layers of hell and 
we have in D&D the layers of Avernus, which are not quite the same, but still. Um, there's actually a, um, and that's why we drink episode about those layers of hell. And M did a fabulous job. So go listen to them. <laughs> I'm not going to go through it. Um, but they go through Dante's Inferno. So um, I apparently agree with Plato because Plato said, uh, you know, if souls are indestructible, then the number of souls must be finite because you can't destruct them. That's just not going to work. So that's my background. Um, and then as I started coming more into my spiritual practice, my spiritual path, um, this wonderful woman named Elka, who I've, I've lauded a couple times on here. I was hoping to get her for this episode, but, um, she's been so busy that I didn't even, I didn't even ask. <laughs> Sorry, Elka. So part of, uh, our drum journeys that she leads will go to the spirit plane. Um, she'll drum and she'll have a whole, um, a whole visualization going to the, to the, to that world. And you're kind of floating around, uh, you're, you're playing, you're, you're just enjoying your life. You're a little fuzzball of joy. You're playing with your other friends. And then there's this commotion. There's a bunch of people, uh, collecting. So you go over and you look and they're all staring down into this open, pond in the center of a field and they it sort of start it doesn't like clear up but it starts getting easier for you to get to the front and as you get to the front you see them jumping you see souls jumping in the little fuzzballs just like you are going down into the pond and you look and you see this beautiful blue and green little marble and all of a sudden you have a longing for feelings, for something other than joy and pure bliss, for a body, for, for touch and sensation. And so you and your friends go off to the side and you make a deal with each other. You say, this is what I want to experience. You remember being down there. You remember what you have not experienced yet. And so you and your soul family make a pact where you jump down and you'll find each other. And you'll make sure that those feelings are felt. Those lessons are learned. And you go. You jump. Maybe you hold hands. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're a little timid and somebody pushes you gently. But you go. And you wake up. And you're screaming because it's cold. And there's the senses of everything <laughs> overpowering you. And you're born. You're born. You're here. So I guess what I'm saying is that, and I'm going to go through what other groups believed and where maybe reincarnation, the concept came from, just to make sure it's not problematic, because you know me, got to check. Um, but that's, those are the conclusions that I've came through on my own spiritual journey. Even before being on a spiritual journey, I believed in reincarnation, but now I'm here. And I don't really know if I believe that you can become anything. Um, we're going to talk a lot more about the different options that other people believe, but I think that I just become more people. I believe that I'm a certain set of people. Now, currently, I believe that all of those people are in the future and I've completed the ones in the past, but I do know some people who, and I, I might be able to get behind this, but I'm not a hundred percent sure yet, but there are schools of thought that time is irrelevant when you're spirit. Time does not really matter. 
even mathematics can show us the same thing. So if I was a two-dimensional being, so a circle on a piece of paper, I wouldn't be able to see up out of the paper, right? All I could see would be around me on that flat plane. So if something like a sphere, say, comes down into the plane, I might see them as a circle, but that circle might change in size because the middle of the circle is a lot bigger than say a slice at the bottom. And so we can extend that to three-dimensional beings. If I'm a three-dimensional being, I might not be able to perceive something that can manipulate or go through the fourth dimension. I might see them as a ghost, let's say, um, or just something unexplainable. That, by the way, is the uh, premise behind Flatland, a novel. I don't remember who it's by. I should look it up and put it in the show notes. If you're interested, check it out. But it's a common one that I've subbed for math classrooms, and we've shown that video. <laughs> it's so good. Me, 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 me. And so those same people uh, who say time is irrelevant, anybody can experience it in any order, would say that my next reincarnated form might occur in the past. So I might make decisions in the past that affect the present, which I already would have done. But like I, I, my, my soul hasn't done it yet. And you can really extend that to be that I am every single human being on this earth. I am myself. I am my partner. I am you, listener. I am my neighbors. I am the richest man. And I am the poorest person in the world who is about to give up on life because there's, it's not worth living. I'm all of those people. I don't personally subscribe to that, but like I could be. I could be every single human who has ever walked the earth. I think there's a lot more than just me, but I'm going to give that some airtime. That thought, you can think it too if you want. All right, so we're going to go through the definition that reincarnation is a soul who has different human forms meant to learn lessons, help others and experience humanity. Okay. Those are the, those are the goals here. This is our working definition. We're also going to, um, talk a little bit about soulmates and I'm going to define those here as well. So there's different types of soulmates and this is from medium.com. There's a soul family it's a group of people who you've just kind of gotten in a loop with, right? You just keep getting reincarnated to life after life. It's your family. It's not like a, like a, it's not your mother and your sister and your brother. Okay. It's your soul brother. So this is somebody who you feel like you've known them forever. Um, they just show up in your life and you're like, I can't believe I've only known you for a month. <laughs> There's no way I've only known you for a month. That's part of your soul family. They're here to bring out your best qualities without judgment because there's also soul groups. So these are people that you've made a pact with. You've, you've asked for this, but they've come here to teach and to learn lessons. Okay. So you're just going to teach them a lesson. They're going to teach you a lesson. There definitely might be dislike or judgment in those relationships. These are your mortal enemies, <laughs> your frenemies, your 
um, your jerk of a landlord who charged you money for smoking, even though you've never smoked a day in your life. And then you took her to court for it. And then she went to court and said, oh, poor me. Look, I have, I'm a, I'm a cancer patient or whatever. And then she still has to pay you. And she actually does. Just me? Okay, cool. So that's your soul group. There's also a twin flame. Now you'll hear this in a lot of circles. Um, you'll hear how to find your twin flame. Why haven't I found my twin flame? Why hasn't my twin flame left me for his wife? Okay. So a twin flame is your other half. It's the other half of your soul. Now here's the problem. You are not meant to be with your twin flame every single reincarnation. You are meant to find them sometimes, have a chaotic interaction where they, they mush everything around. They give you direction. They give you balance. They knock you off balance in order to find that balance. And it can be chaos and it can be very intense. But you're here for a reason and they're here for a reason. And if it's not the same reason or it's not the right time, it might not be this life. Let them go live their life. And you should know that. There should be no judgment if it's truly your twin flame. And you'll understand them. You'll know why they're not, you know, leaving their current relationship for you or um, why they're not pouring all of their attention into you because they're there just to point you in the right direction and then let you go walk that path and vice versa. So don't fall for those freaking readers who are like, oh, you'll meet your twin flame. And that's all they talk about. They should know as well that it's not going to happen every single lifetime. How do you find your soulmates? That's all of those people, by the way, all of those souls are your soulmates. You'll just find them. You'll go through your life and eventually you'll find them. It'll just happen and it'll make sense. And then you'll move on because some of them are just there for a lesson and some of them are there for a lifetime. So let them go. Okay, rant over. <laughs> Let's talk about the background of reincarnation. So Wikipedia, my homie, says, quote, reincarnation is a central tenet of Indian religions and most varieties of paganism which probably means that pagans stole it, but we'll just find out as we go. So in Jainism, which I'm going to say these wrong and I apologize. I think that's how I say it. J-I-J-A-I-N-I-S-M, which is an Indian religion. What they say is that a soul could go to the celestial human animal plant or infernal kingdom after death. And they go depending on their karmas. Um, and they go right away. So you die and then immediately you're a cat. <laughs> oh, the life. Or you die and immediately you are in the infernal kingdom, which sounds a lot like hell. Um, and this is based on your karma. So all the karma that you collect over your lifetime is in a bank. <laughs> and then they find out how much you owe or have positive And then assign you from there. You just go. Now, um, that was early Jainism. So now in many forms, in many terms of Judaism, 
A form of reincarnation also exists in many streams of Judaism and many indigenous peoples of the Americas and Australia, along with Pythagoras, Socrates, and Plato. Okay, now here's where I'm going to nerd out again. Listen, you're here for all of it. Welcome. So I'm reading a book called The Eye of the Peacock, which is a, a history of mathematics from non-white perspectives. So it turns out that Pythagoras went to India and borrowed a lot of things, including but not limited to the Pythagorean theorem. Yes, my friends, the Indian, the um, people of India had the Pythagorean theorem before Pythagoras did. And then he was like, mine. He also borrowed some of their um, religious tenets. So reincarnation is one of them. Also meditation and veganism, if I remember correctly. I haven't read the book in a while and I couldn't find this freaking passage for the life of me, but it's in there. So um, I think that he brought it back with him. I think he brought reincarnation back and was like, let's, let's talk about reincarnation or whatever. I think that's what happened. But I have no proof. So in early Buddhist traditions, this is still from um, Wikipedia, by the way, samsara cosmetology consisted of five realms through which the wheel of existence cycled. So the hells, hungry ghosts, animals, humans, and gods. So it sounds like your soul kind of went through all of those, not necessarily one or the other. Later, demigods were added and it was possible to escape the wheel. That's called nirvana. So if you, um, if you, if you reach Nirvana, you escape this wheel and you can exist outside of that wheel of time. Uh, and then positive karma gave you progressively better lots in the next cycle. So the better your karma, the better your options were, or the better you, um, started out. Have you played the real game of life? <laughs> There's there. It's just like the game of life, like the board game, but it's the real game of life and you roll and immediately you could die. Like, you know, like some people with uteruses do sometimes when they're not ready to have children. Um, you could immediately be done and then you have to start again. So if you have good karma, you basically don't have that roll option or you have a better roll option for your um, income or whatever it is. So. That's the idea if I connect it to today. And then um, I think that's where we get um, the idea of reincarnation. But there have been reports of people remembering their, la their, la their past lives. There have been reports of people remembering their past lives. Um, so there's a psychiatrist named Ian Stevenson from the University of Virginia. He conducted over 2,500 case studies of young children who claim to remember past lives. And he published that in 12 books over the period of 40 years. So there's 12 books of case studies of children remembering their past lives. They found that when you get older, you tend to forget either from suppression or just because your new body overtakes your old soul memories, right? So that kind of thing happens. But shout out again to And That's Why We Drink. So in episode 54, Christine covered a past life um, memory. And then in episode 169, M covered Egypt. So it's the story of Shanti who remembered 
everything. She's like, take me back to my family. Take me back to my family. Um, could describe her house number. Could explain what it looked like. Could explain her children, her husband, everything. And so her parents did. <laughs> they had written everything down. And then uh, when she was old enough, they took her. And... Um, I, everything kind of checked out. So go listen to that episode <laughs> if you want more. There's very believable evidence of past lives from these past life, just children being born remembering things that they should not have remembered. And there's always the kind of creepy ones that's like, I remember when I was the mommy and you were the baby. Or like, I remember when I, when I stabbed you to death or whatever. Um, I never know what to make out of those, but when scientists are involved and they write everything down and they prove it, that makes me feel a little bit better. So I do believe in past lives. Um, and I don't think that anybody's remembered a future life. You know, like if I'm, if, if we're going back to the, I am every human, I feel like at some point I would remember, I would remember something from the future. And I do sometimes, but that's deja vu and it's in my own future. It's not me remembering a person who has lived in the year 3000 or anything like that. So I, eh, unless our years are ending soon, <laughs> I don't think that that's the case. Um, so there's people who study past lives and even will do a past life regression where you meditate and try to remember your past life. Those are super sketchy to me because <laughs> you're always very important. Like, Oh, I was George Washington or I was the um, person, I was Harriet Tubman or something like that, right? Like you'll always have somebody who tells you that your past life was a very important person. I tend to think of past lives as like, oh, I was a, I was a housemaid or, you know, I died in childbirth. Nobody ever remembers those things. So it's a little sketchy to me, but do what you do. Listen, okay, if you if you wholeheartedly believe that you can tell somebody what their past life was, please do it. Don't let me stop you. Okay, so there's people who do past life regressions. And then there's the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And here's where Jim McCartney comes into play. So um, we're gonna we're gonna back up though again to my story. So so I went I went to that lady's retreat. And I met this woman named June, bless her heart, the nicest lady. She came from Chicago and she happened to pack the Shadowscapes tarot that she gave me when I came in crying. Um, she was there, she cooked amazing food and she supported us and she's like an aunt. Well, when she went back to Chicago, I went to her goodbye party and that's where I met Elka and also where I met Jim. Now that was less than 10 years ago. I think <laughs> that was around 10 years ago. And Jim really wasn't all there. Um, he had a pacemaker. He spoke very slowly and thoughtfully, but very slowly. He was the kind of person that um, you just kind of sat there with and listened. And he would tell you stories. Um, but I never got to know him in his heyday. He used to do um, rescue missions on mountains. <laughs> like he... Uh, he was an avid hiker, an avid backpacker. Um, his rescue missions were frequently in the snow. So he would ski down and, and rescue somebody from a tree well and then take them back. He had two amazing children who were about my age, actually. 
um, and his wife, Elka, who is currently my mentor. Um, and he passed away a year ago. But in 1997, he passed away for the first time. He had a grand mal seizure and he was dead. He was, he had died for 20 minutes. Elka was frantic. Um, she was calling everybody she knew to call. She eventually got him help. And she also provided some spiritual support because she's a reverend. She is a spiritual counselor. She sees auras and she knew that there was enough of him to hang on to that she begged and pleaded him to hang on for her. They weren't done yet, she said. So in 2009, Jim and Elka spoke at a conference in, uh, in California at the International Association for Near-Death Studies conference. And Present uh, did an interview with him. And you can look him up at KMVT on YouTube. It's Jim McCartney's story. And it's 12 minutes long. Um, and I'm going to quote a lot of it, but I didn't want to like put direct. Um, I didn't want to like upload his audio because I don't have access to that. But um, so during that, during those 20 minutes, and a lot of this is quotations, and it's, it, it's very powerful to hear Jim say it. So I would almost go, go see that. But in those 20 minutes, Jim experienced the most real event of his life. He was suspended in this kind of grayness, kind of nothing. And any light that was in the area coalesced as a ball in front of him. It was an infinite ball and it contained the universe. And he says, I somehow just knew that. I just kind of knew. And the light came towards him or he went towards the light and it was, it was presence. It was love. It was infinite. And he started having a life review. And it was events that defined who he was. And as soon as one event um, kind of resolved, another one emerged. And they were mostly events that was a struggle. They were, they were events he struggled with. And then at the light started collecting his legs. <laughs> um, you know, his legs became light and there, he felt no judgment. These were events that he felt um, immensely shameful for or just a certain judgment. But that was all his own. And so he started releasing the judgment of his life experiences. And as he let it go, the light was able to come closer and closer and closer. He got scared. <laughs> um, he felt his sense of self start to get lost. His body start to dissolve and his choice go away. So he withdrew from the light, but it was compelling enough that he went back to it. And he says he teetered on the edge for what felt like hours back and forth into the light, no judgment, pulling out, trying to keep his sense of self. And he got to a certain point where he truly almost lost himself. But eventually he came out of it in his body, awake, probably Elka crying near him, <laughs> praying or 
drumming or smudging or whatever she does. Um, and he says, quote, people who have a near-death experience are unafraid of death as I am. I'm afraid of dying, but I emphatically know that I am not this finite body. This is something that I have. I've returned. And my mission in this world is to communicate what I know to others. Who I am is this universe in form. And in the comments of that YouTube video, there are so many people that are like, this is exactly what I experienced. And you said it so well. Jim had a published book or maybe two. He would walk to the library and talk to anybody who wanted to listen about anything. He would go to the coffee shop and just have coffee with anybody. He was a kind, loving, very intelligent man whom touched so many people in his travels and in his experiences and in his um in his life, in both of his lives, the one before the grand mal seizure and the one after the grand mal seizure. He lived for, I don't know how many years that is, 23 years after dying, spoke at conferences, did interviews. Again, he wrote a book and eventually he did pass away peacefully in his sleep and she, she's doing okay. It's hard. It's hard to lose somebody. Your your entire perception of your world changes. There's holes where they used to be. There's a landscape with a building missing. Something's changing your landscape. And it's not easy. And I didn't plan on adding this in here, but if you think that the world would be better off without you, I beg you to stick around a little bit longer. Because... Every single person who I've met who thought about releasing their soul to the next life, right? Try, trying again. <laughs> Let me just wipe the slate clean and try again. Held on for one more day, one more day at a time for 10 years. And their life is so much better now. They have an amazing job or they have a great apartment or they found a partner who keeps them sane. And sometimes they go back to the old thinking, but it's worth it. I will never tell you that it's easy because it's not. But it is worth it. So if you are having thoughts of leaving this world... And trying again or trying on a different planet or whatever, please, please stick around. You can contact the suicide hotline. I checked on my incognito mode so that way nobody would come watch out for me, but at 800-273-8255. And I think you can call or text and somebody will be there just to chat because you're worth sticking around for. And if you don't believe that yet, find something that is. Stick around for one more feeding of your cat or one more episode or one more, one more day, one day at a time because you are worth it. All right, let's finish off with a tarot reading. Um, 
So I want you to think of a question and then pick a number from one to three. And you know what? Let's do a yes, no this time. So think of a yes or no question and pick a number from one to three. My cat might try to play with the pendulum, but all right. Show me yes. Show me no. Okay. So if they asked a question and pick the number one, what is their answer? Yes. If they asked a question and picked, he did touch it. If they asked a question and picked the number two, what is the answer? Yes. If they asked a question and picked the number three, what is the answer? No. All right. I hope that helps. And I hope you have a beautiful day. And if you want to get in contact with me in any way, um, my email is omensandepiphanies at gmail.com. My Instagram is omensandepiphanies. I think I use the ampersand for Instagram and Facebook. Those are the best ways to um, see when new episodes post. If you want to tweet at me, I'm at omensepiphanies because it's too long to use the and. I'm also on uh, TikTok, <laughs> at omensandepiphanies. And I have a website, omensandepiphanies.com. And I will talk to you next time. Okay, bye.